Well, good morning. Hope you all are doing well. Looks like some of us are missing today. Families are missing. Keep them in prayer wherever they are and whatever they're doing. Remember, this is the Lord's Day. This is the day that we have set apart to worship Christ, to worship Him as Lord, and to lift Him up among the congregation of the righteous. Turn your Bibles, if you would please, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 26. I'll be reading one verse today. One verse. 1 Samuel 2.26 And I'll still be reading on the New King James Version. First Samuel 2.26 reads, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Let's pray. Father, we just exalt you this morning. We just thank you for who you are, Lord. We just want to honor you with our lives. Lord, we're grateful that we have the opportunity to wake up this morning, to breathe, that you've given us life. Lord, and there's so many around the world who are fighting for their lives this very moment. But God, you've given us this, this day, and you've allowed us by your mercy to be able to gather together as the church of Jesus Christ and be able to um, exalt your name to worship you together to affirm our faith with our brothers and sisters Lord and for this we are grateful so Lord be honored today with the preaching of your word Lord and the praising of your your name open our hearts today Lord including myself Lord that God your, your word isn't to be taken lightly Lord but we would take it very seriously and we would take our lives extremely seriously and the lives of others Lord Grant us the ability today, Lord God, to hear what you'd have to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Obviously, this verse is on the back end of what we had witnessed a few weeks ago when we read the testimonies of Eli's wicked, vile sons which makes Samuel's life shine even brighter. On the backdrop of this vile scene and this corruption that we saw from Eli's sons, it makes the life of Samuel just shine so much brighter. It really is a comparison between two totally opposite extremes. We see both what true worship looks like and false worship. We see that this life of Samuel, opposed to the lifestyles of Hophni and Phinehas, Lord, a total different, if you will, contradiction. Eli's sons were in it for a show, while Samuel was ultimately a man who was not only birthed by a godly woman, but was birthed by prayer. His name actually means, as you've heard me say before, heard by God. Samuel, Samuel was used by God. He was dedicated to God. He was literally an offering to God for the service to God. To work in the temple alongside Eli, which represented the true worship of the living God. 
while Eli's sons represented blasphemous, worldly, artificial, counterfeit, rebellious will worship of men. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, He said, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is kept far from me. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, He says, And having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And this is a clear description of what we've seen with Eli's sons right here. But Samuel's life could be defined by what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church when he wrote in chapter uh, 2 verse 8 when he said we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our lives because you had become dear to us 1 Corinthians 4.20 says for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power And here lies the difference. One is hypocrisy. The other is truth. Truth prevails primarily because it's reality. Truth doesn't need to argue. It's assumed. And here lies the danger. You see, there's a bewitching spell that falls upon the person when they have fallen prey to a lie. There's something about status mingled with good works that have a way, if we're not careful, giving us a false assurance, a kind of salvation that is imaginary. It's almost like a drug-induced religion, not true religion that comes from the conversion of the heart. What do I mean by that? I'm saying if you're not careful, sometimes we can get hypnotized by ministry or hypnotized by something that we're doing, an outward performance, that we're doing these things sometimes can have such an appearance to others that you're one way when really you're not, but that also can also be deceptive to your own heart and convince you that you're okay when really you're not. And I think a lot of times people can continue in the perversion of the gospel. You see some of these mega churches. you see some of the things that go on in our nation. And even back here with this false worship, you wonder to yourself, how can such men continue in the service of God, the service of the temple under the high priest, continue to commit such vile acts continuously? How can they continue to do that? Well, the reality is they're unconverted. We know that. But also, I think they're self-deceived. I think sometimes you can get so caught up in this religious idea that you've totally missed Christ in all of it. You see it all the time. People get so caught up with the, with the phenomenon of, of, of just church ministry. Or whatever it could be, worship. It could be something that you're so infatuated with that you lose yourself in it. But it's not Christ. But yet has an appearance that it could be something salvific because you've given yourself to it and it gives back to you that adrenaline rush that you've mistaken for the Spirit of God. It's very dangerous. And Eli's sons were in that very spot of danger. They were in complete, hypocritical, blasphemous worship towards God. God actually looked forward to wiping them out. But that backdrop shows a darkness behind Samuel, which gives him this godly 
reputation and appearance and what you should have. And I want to look at this first in two parts this morning. Number one, the first cutting it into two sections. I want to first look at where the Bible says, And the child Samuel grew in stature. And then the second one is, And in favor both with the Lord and man. Looking at the first point, And the child Samuel grew in stature. What does that mean? Well, stature is not just a person's natural height. We know, obviously, that Samuel was growing, right? We know that people, human beings, they grow. They get taller. They get bigger. That's just the way that we're designed. But here, it's not just dealing with a person's natural height, but also the importance or reputation gained by an ability or an achievement. He grew in stature. His reputation was that of a godly man. One whose abilities were honed and sharpened in the best of times? No. In the worst of times. In the midst of corruption. Which is remembered to his commendation. Stature also could be referring to moral stature. Even mental stature. Obviously we understand that Samuel was indeed getting taller and he was growing. But this cannot be isolated only to the physical growth. His physical growth. But also to his spiritual growth. Paul does well in explaining this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, when he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, even now, you are still not able. Dealing with maturity, dealing with growth, dealing with the spiritual stature of where the church was at this time, the Corinthian church. In Hebrews 5, 12, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Paul is taking this, this reality of stature, of growth, of maturity, and he's showing how a person's stature, not only in your physicalness, in your growth as a human being, but our growth should parallel with our spiritual growth. Samuel's life, as he was a child, he was dedicated to the temple for the true worship of the living God. But as he grew older, he be began to grow in stature, both physically and spiritually, as so should we. It's terrible when you see someone that says, I've been a Christian for 40 years and they still behave like a man baby. 50-year-old men acting like 10-year-olds. It's damaging. We should be growing at the very rate that we're growing physically. When you become a believer at that very point, 10 years down the road, you shouldn't be exactly where you were when you first came to Christ. There should be some growth there. The sanctifying power of God should be so manifested in your life that this is showing that there's Christian maturity, that your stature, not only as a human being, but your stature as the spirituality of who you are in Christ. As a child, Samuel grew in stature in the midst of great corruption and apostasy, mind you. 
I'd like you to think about this for just a moment before we just rush through the sermon. I'd like you to think for a moment about what's going on in Samuel's life. Look at the corruption that he's dealing with. Look at where he's at. Look who he's sitting under. Apparently the father of the faith there. And look at his children. Look at the, what's going on at the temple. Look at the sexual immorality. Look at the greed. Look what's happening in the midst of his ministry. But did Samuel shrink and shrivel and be influenced into evil? No. As a matter of fact, this was fresh soil for the true believer to grow in. He matured in this, as we should as well. As we see corruption all around us as Christians, we shouldn't be influenced into the corruption. We should actually be able to grow and mature and our stature, spiritually speaking, should grow in the midst of whether the entire world apostatizes, we should be growing in grace. God's house was turned into a circus. Strange fire came from strange men who were burning with selfish lust. The high priest behaved like a lazy, incompetent, passive reprobate. All the while, his nasty kids were destroying the true worship of God. Samuel grew in a cesspool of poisonous worship, sexual immorality, greed, rebellion, and darkness. He actually grew in stature in a sin-soaked, sin-filled culture. Something for us to recognize today because one of the most damaging things as a believer is not so much all the garbage that I see in the world, the school shootings, the massive slaughtering of children, the homosexual, transgender agenda. All these things are very disturbing. But the most disturbing thing of all is when stuff starts happening within the church walls. That apostasy is allowed in the church. That there's a tolerance of ungodliness. That we make accommodations for the world and become like the world. is the greatest tragedy in the world. You know the greatest sin committed in the Bible is unbelief. These are all realities and fruit of unbelief. Because if we truly believed in what the Bible says, and the Bible's true, and the commands of Christ are reality, we wouldn't behave this way. But because of unbelief, we allow other things to come in and corrupt the true worship of God, which shouldn't be. It says in Luke one eighty. When it says referring to the John the Baptist saying that the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. We see this pattern repeated over and over again in scripture. The Bible says that John the Baptist, he waxed strong in spirit. Where did he wax strong at? Was it in the park? Was it a bed of roses? No. The Bible says that it was the desert. This is where he waxed strong in spirit. That is, in courage, understanding, and the purposes of good, fitting him for the future work. The word wax actually comes from an old Saxton word, which means to increase or to grow spiritually. And this is where he waxed. He waxed in the desert places. He waxed in the wilderness. Samuel waxed in the midst of corruption within the house of the Lord. He grew. He waxed strong in spirit. 
Thinking about John the Baptist, where did he grow? It certainly wasn't in the palace. It was in Hebron, actually, in the hill country where his father resided. He dwelt in obscurity and was eventually made known to the public when he was ready. As the Bible says, unto the day of his showing, until he entered on the public ministry, as recorded in Matthew 3, that is, probably until he was about 30 years of age. His very name, Yochanan, which is Hebrew for grace and mercy. And it says in Luke 175, in holiness and in righteousness before him all the days of his life. Give you some idea on how John the Baptist lived. He lived in holiness. And he lived in righteousness before him all the days of his life. In John 5.35, it says that John was the lamp that kept on burning and shining to show the way. It makes me just think of, you know, the shining saint comes out of those places in life that were seem to be a place to harm us or to hurt us or discourage us or to put us in a place where we're going to be defeated or we're going to fail. But instead, what happens is we just grow brighter and brighter. The more oppressed, the more rejected, the more beaten down, the more adversity that we go through, the more that the saint shines. He doesn't dim in those types of environments or that atmosphere. It just makes him brighter. Very similar to the life of Samuel. And this is God's pattern of preparation for all his children, including us. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. What about the child, the childhood of Christ? As we see in Luke 2, 52, it says, And Jesus himself, the God-man, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Here's a picture of our Savior. Almost identical what we read here in 1 Samuel, the life of Samuel. We see this here. That this is a picture of our beloved Savior. He increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. But notice, when he grew this way, in stature, in wisdom, in favor with God and man. It wasn't in the best of times. As a matter of fact, if you study, the time that he was birthed was the worst of times, called the days of Herod. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. If anybody is familiar with Herod, the Bible depicts Herod as a monster who actually tried to kill Jesus when he was only a baby. And when he couldn't find him, killed every infant in Bethlehem. Jesus himself described his days as an adulterous and sinful generation. And this is where he waxed strong. This is where he grew in wisdom. This is where he grew in stature and favor, both with God and man in this type of world. The scripture is showing us very clearly that don't get dismayed. Don't get trampled underfoot by the things that are going on around us. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. Remain steadfast. Keep your eyes upon Christ. Shine in dark places. 
Don't lose heart. Don't backpedal. Don't allow these things to bury you. But allow these things to energize you. In Matthew 4.16, it's exactly what happened. It says the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. People who sat in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. This is Christ our Savior breaking through. Question to you this morning. Are you growing in stature? I'm not saying just getting older or getting bigger or whatever. For me, i got to be careful because I don't want to grow this way. I don't think I'm going to grow any more higher either. I think this is pretty much it for me. But am I growing spiritually? Am I getting godlier? Am I getting holier? Am I just remaining as I am? Am I like the Dead Sea that just sucks the life out of everything and not growing, just stagnant? Or am I being fruitful in my life? Am I growing? Am I maturing? Is my stature flourishing? Let me just say this really quick before I move on. Just because you have failed, because you may have had issues or you had a, a season to where it just seems like you just could not get up and going and some like everything that you've done is one failure after another. Maybe it's some sin that you've just been battling with. This is not what we're talking about here. Because you know what? Through all of this, it will make sense. Even your failures, all the times that you have fallen, all the mistakes that you have made in this life will all ultimately make sense because you know what? God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. And be of good cheer. Christ overcome the world. And he's not through with you. You may think today, some of you here today may think that, listen, I have been so vile and rotten that there's no way that God will ever want to use me again. That's a total lie from the very pit of hell. Study the word of God and see the kind of men and the kind of women that God uses so he can receive all the glory. There's no such thing as neutrality in the Christian life. You're either growing holier or you're slowly fading. Yet at times when it seems we are fading, drying up and sinking, slowly falling backwards and tripping along is really sometimes where the most, most growth is experienced, believe it or not. You ever been there before? I know I have. Where it seems like I'm going backwards. Like, what in the world's going on here? I almost stand as if a person in the audience observing my life from the outside going, what in the world is going on with you? What's wrong with you? And then further on down the road, you realize that all of that God used for where you are now. And you would have never thought it in the midst of your pain, right? Or your failure or whatever was going on with you. You think for a moment like, am I like not saved? And then all of a sudden, a year down the road, you look back and you're like, I'm so grateful that the Lord didn't allow me to escape that but brought me through that just because of the growth that has happened in my own life because of it. That you grow in stature through the hard times, through the difficult times, through the failures, through all of this, we grow for the glory of God more into the image of his son. Which brings us to our second point. 
and in favor both with the Lord and men. This is where a lot of people get tripped up because they look at these verses and they say, yeah, I can see where he is gaining favor with the Lord, but what about, why does it matter if I gain favor with men? Who cares what men think, right? We're always taught in scripture that anything that's of man, right, is bad, it's sinful. But this isn't what the Bible is saying at all. Are we to have favor with both God and man? And the answer is yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2.15 says this, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are an aroma that brings death, okay? To the other an aroma that brings life. James 4.4 4 says, and this is questioning this verse, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Is this what the Bible's saying to have both favor with God and man that we're making ourselves friends of the world? Not at all. It's not, it's not at all what it's inferring. Because in Romans 12, 18, it says this, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Live peacefully with all men. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In Mark 9.50, Christ says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Joseph himself, think of the story of Joseph. He was blessed by Pharaoh. Joseph being a type and shadow of Christ. In this life, we are called to be exemplary as Christians, as believers. We're not called to be slothful. We're called to be hardworking. We're called to live a life Yes, of holiness, don't get me wrong, unto the Lord. But we are to set an example to the world around us that we are different. When we go into our workplaces, do we show up early? Do we work harder than anybody else when we're there? Because the Bible says, do all things under the glory of God. I've heard my employer tell me before, he said, I want to hire more people from your church. He's already got three of us. He says, because you guys are the hardest workers. You show up on time. You do exactly what you're, what you're supposed to do and more. You're dependable. He wants to hire Christians. But yet he's of the world. He's not a Christian. Should we try to offend him? Say, ah, you know, say something just offends him. So he fires us. Is that, is that a great testimony? When the scripture tells us to obey our authorities? No, it's a great testimony. This is how you gain favor with God and man. Pay your bills on time. You're using something that belongs to someone else. You're paying for a service. Be the first one to pay your bills. Pay your bills on time. Live a life that's exemplary. This is what the scriptures are teaching us here. Not only have favor with God, but also with man. Be a good representative of the God you're supposed to reflect to the world. If you were born again and transformed by the power of the Spirit of God, what kind of person are you? 
Are we to be nutty and foolish and act like dingbats out there just so people can all see how crazy we are for Christ? That's not it at all. We're supposed to be steadfast, stable believers, godly, holy, with a good work ethic. We, have, we are principle-driven. Not to be slouches for Christ, lazy for Christ. It's just not the way it is. The Bible condemns that, by the way. Acting goofy and strange is not biblical. We get we stick out for a couple of reasons. First, the Bible says we're aroma of death to the world who's perishing, but an aroma of life to the Christian believers. Okay? There are ways that we stick out from just being a Christian. From saying no when the world's telling us to say yes. When someone's trying to force something on us and we say no, you're going to stick out. You don't have to act like a fool to stick out to show that you're a Christian. Just be a true Christian and you you will stick out one way or another. It may not be the favor of man in such a way when you stand out. But let's go on to read this really quick so we can get a a broader idea of what we're talking about here. In 2 Chronicles 20, 29, it says, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. It's also the fear of the Lord and its authority as well that creates this view. Um, these other nations feared the people of God because what God was doing through them. It wasn't just a happy, happy, be my friend, let's everyone get along. It wasn't that at all. But they were moving in power. They were moving in authority. The fear of God was upon all those nations around them that they feared the people of God. A godly fear of terror. We earn the respect of people. Whether they agree with us or not, they will respect you if you have authority in your life as a Christian. Have authority. And this is what he's dealing with here. Let's go on further. It says here, in Mark 1.22, it says that Jesus preached with authority and the people were astonished and they were amazed. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority, not as the performance-driven Pharisees who had no authority. They were empty tombs. They had nothing. They were like Eli's kids. They were just performance junkies. They were addicted to their, 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 their ungodly lifestyles. Yet they covered themselves up and tried to make themselves appear a certain way when at the end they were just rotten to the core. And this isn't, this isn't at all what, he, what, what happens in the life of Christ. He had authority. People were astonished. And they weren't all believers that were astonished. People were astonished at his authority. That the fear of God fell upon them. Even the Pharisees hated Christ. They were envious of Christ. Why? Because he moved with fear and authority that they wanted, but they couldn't get doing it their way. That's tyrannical authority. That's abusive authority. Christ had authority because he came from God. He moved in the Holy Spirit's power. Completely different. Hophni and Phinus, they were, Phinus were man babies, immature worldlings who use the grace of God as a license to sin. We should be growing in stature as well and in favor with God and man. We must not allow the grace of God to become a license to sin. 
Romans 6.1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? This is a this is a, a popular teaching today that <clears throat> you know that the grace of God it doesn't matter you spit out a little <clears throat> sinner's prayer and you just go on living however you want to live it doesn't really matter that you said your little recipe for salvation you can go on now and live like the devil because you've made it into heaven you know you you've you've reached out and you've grabbed a hold of it and you've won heaven by your own will which is totally absent from scripture. Let's look at a few things. Let's look at a few reasons how grace becomes a license to sin. First, grace becomes tolerance. If God is able to overlook sin, they believe that we should too. Tolerance becomes acceptance. Sin is seen as normal behavior. Number 3, acceptance becomes an expectation. Since sin is seen as normal behavior, they believe there is nothing that we can do about it. Number four, an expectation of sin becomes a contentment in sin. Their consciences become seared and they are content with sin in their own lives as well as in the lives of their brethren. And this is how we become, we use the grace of God as a license to sin, which is not so with Samuel. It's ultimately, at the, end, about, at the end of the day, it's about our sanctification. It's really about the sanctifying power of God. It shows the true sanctifying power of the Spirit of God in one person's life and what it looks like when someone tries to make it up and produces a false fire from the flesh. That's where we don't want to be. That's where we don't want to be. Godly parenting. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, Samuel was a product of godly parenting. You know, um, Hannah had an undying devotion to God, which was instrumental in Samuel's undying devotion to God. Eli was a lazy slob, indifferent, careless, pretending to be a parent to his kids while furthering his children into the fiery abyss of hell. Listen, your kids could care less about your ministry, your devotion to the Bible, how long you pray, and your perfect church attendance when you are absent in the home and in their lives. Justifying our failures by giving them important roles to play, prominent positions, money is no excuse for an absent father or laziness in fathering. Those of us who are fathers, that's talking to me this morning as well. I told my wife yesterday, I said I don't really feel comfortable preaching this sermon because I feel like there's so much here that I need to grow as well. It's difficult, you know, when you finish a sermon and you look at it and you're like, I just need to go sit down and have, have someone else come up here and preach this to me because this is something that I also need to awaken to this reality that you don't want, I mean, Samuel's life, his godliness, his holiness, his sanctification to understand comes from the Spirit of God. We can't take credit from that, but God uses by His sovereignty the means of godly parenting to produce godly children. We shouldn't just make an excuse and say, hey, you know, 
go ahead there, you know, they're in the Lord's hands, then live however we want, which can be tragic. In Titus chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Older men, be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Be one who is enduring. Don't be a part-timer. Be a full-timer. Either in or you're out. Jesus said you're either hot or you're cold. One of the two. Then in verse 3 of Titus it says, Older women must be reverent in the way that they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. This is so they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children, which is the complete opposite of today. There's very little urging younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. It's destroy your children, hate your husband. It's just a complete opposite today. This is why reading these verses can seem so foreign, the reality of them. We all say, amen, so be it. But is it reality? Is this happening? To be self-controlled and to be pure. And the women, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands. That no one will malign or blaspheme the word of God. The young men need to be self-controlled. You need to have self-control. An example to all by doing what is good. Showing integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Favor with God and favor with man. Children, younger children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Whether we like it or not, it is right because it honors God. In Ephesians 4.29 it says, To all of us, do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is in good for building up others according to the need and the occasion so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put aside all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, from your lips. This is the reality of the Christian life. This is what we see in the life of Samuel. When he grew in stature. He grew in stature. And in favor both with the Lord and with men. And this should be our lives as well. You can see the dichotomy in all of this. I mean, there is... There are, you know, don't read it out of context. Don't think because you go to work and you get a reward or a raise that you're not, you're not following the Lord. You think you should be more offensive to people. I've had people come to me before and say that they're going to quit their job because they can't do such and such at work. They can't preach the gospel at work or do this at work. When in reality, what God has told them to do is submit to authority. If you can't submit to authority, no one cares about your gospel. You've ruined your witness. You've ruined your testimony. He's hired you to do a job, to be skillful in your work. 
Do that unto the Lord, and the Lord will open up opportunities for the other. You don't want to violate the testimony of being rebellious against authority and then get mad because you can't go and be the evangelist at work. I understand that, you know, good works isn't necessarily evangelizing because it's not vocal, but it does have a lot of weight to those around you when you do things for the glory of God and you are skilled at what you do. adds a lot of weight. When you can submit to authority, it pleases the Lord. You think rebelling against authority pleases God because you have another agenda? It's hypocritical. You never understand that. God is sovereign. He doesn't need you. He uses us for his glory because he decides to for his own enjoyment. I could die today and it would make no difference. In reality, God can go on. The world would continue to go on. People would continue to get saved. It would be okay. Let us remember today that Samuel grew in stature in favor both with the Lord and men. And so should we. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask God that you would help us Lord, as we walk out these doors this morning, Lord, that we would remember, Lord, that yes, we are definitely getting older, but are we growing in stature with the Lord? Are we gaining favor with God that we can't do in our own works, but through the blood of Christ, through the gospel of Christ, we have gained favor with God. We get to the world around us, Lord. Let us operate in such a way that we wouldn't blaspheme you among the Gentiles. Blaspheme you in the midst of our families. Blaspheme you in the house of God. So, Lord, be glorified today in making those changes in our life. In Jesus' name.